Today we continue our short sermon series on the topic of praise. Last week, Pete and Claire spoke about how we're all designed for praise. We all long to respond with praise, to express delight, gratitude, and even to trust in something that is pleasing to us. But in a decaying world, everything ultimately ends, except the Creator God, who is worthy of endless praise. Today's passage builds on this invitation to praise an endless God. Why should we praise Him? The psalmist makes it clear. Because God is committed to us. He desires to restore us, to create new life in us, and to sustain us. He delights in us. And so no matter where we're at today, whether life is smooth sailing or whether the ground is slowly crumbling beneath us, I hope that we can today just soak in a little bit about how great and wonderful God is. Let's let's explore this invitation to praise God together. I think it's fair to say that a common temptation many of us face is to only praise God when something good happens to us. Do well in our exams, praise the Lord, and perhaps post it on Facebook for a a bit of humble brag. Or we had a good holiday and feel good about ourselves, praise the Lord. Or maybe it's something more material, such as getting a promotion or treating ourselves to something expensive. Praise the Lord. Note that these are all good things, but our focus on God can easily become self-centered and can easily become based on a fleeting reaction to how we're doing. As an example, the last couple of months have been such a whirlwind for my wife and I. Um, As restrictions eased, there have been lots of bugs circulating around, and our daughter would catch all sorts of things from nursery every other week, and then this would be passed along the family. Um, and so every, every week, one of us would always be unwell, with all kinds of flus and colds and noroviruses. Um, at the same time, we were both quite busy at work, and we were living, we were effectively living in survival mode. And what I found was that my spiritual life was so intertwined with my physical state that it too became a roller coaster. The incessant prayers for help during bouts of illnesses and frustrations, the exclamations of praise when we recover, and then the next day, straight back into the daily grind and quick to forget about God's goodness. Repeat with the next illness. Well, I think the psalmist here in Psalm 147 is trying to refocus our hearts and minds to praise God in a far greater way, in a way that's more outward-looking, shifting the focus from ourselves to the God who created and sustains the world, um, and the God who, who desires our good, in a way that is anchored and doesn't sway from our own personal whims, and in a way that's intimate, um, as it directs our affections to the one who has an unfailing love for us. If your Bible's open, the psalmist is clear on this. Psalm 147 starts and ends with invitations to praise the Lord. The psalm is divided into three sections, and each section starts with an invitation of praise. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Verse 7, sing to the Lord. Verse 12, extol the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So let's take each section in turn to explore three reasons of praise. First, praise God for for He is committed to restoring His people. 
Second, praise God for He sustains the lives of the people with delight. And third, praise God for He has given us His Word that delivers restoration and sustenance. So in the first section, the psalmist opens with, Praise the Lord! How good it is to sing praises to our God! How pleasant and fitting it is to praise Him! Here, the invitation is not just to express pleasantries, but it's for a wholehearted, affectionate praise. A praise that is proportionate to the greatness of the person we are praising. The greater and more beautiful the person is to us, the greater the praise we want to offer. Why is it pleasant and fitting to praise God? Reason number one, because he is committed to restoring his people. Restoration from exile and abandonment to heal our brokenness and wounds. God is committed to bringing us back to him, to live freely in his presence and as co-heirs in his kingdom. Let's start with a, with a historical context of the psalm. Verse 2, he gathers the Israelites from exile as he builds a new city for them. For those not familiar, the Israelites have been living in exile for about 70 years, around 6th century BC. Despite being God's chosen people, the Israelites had rejected God and instead chose to live in sin, in idolatry, in greed, and corruption, to name a few. So God gave them over to the sins, which led to captivity by foreign powers. The prophet Isaiah exclaims in Isaiah chapter 1, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and turned their backs on Him. And so the Israelites were experiencing God's judgment as they, as they chose to live a life of unrepentant sin. God's covenant with His people that is, his promised relationship with them, had been broken. And as they effectively chose spiritual exile, so they were given over to other nations as a physical exile. But God had always promised to restore a remnant of his exiled people, and in this psalm, God is acting. You're free. You don't have to live in captivity anymore. Return home, rebuild your city and start anew. You can't imagine the excitement of the people in exile as they hear the calls to return. The dreams of freedom, the longings for peace and security, the return to God's presence, the desire to go back to a new normal. Perhaps this resonates with our position um, as most COVID restrictions have eased. We feel a breath of relief as we slowly return out of exile towards some semblance of normality. Freedom to meet friends and family in person, hugs and handshakes, singing in church, no more fears of isolation or breaks in education and work. But for many of us, it must feel like we're still in exile. Even after Freedom Day, COVID cases are still high, and restrictions could always be reintroduced in the future. Many of us have scars over the last 18 months, loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, um, and loneliness, to name a few. And exile, of course, isn't just about COVID. Perhaps some of us are experiencing exile from family or from broken relationships. Or maybe it feels like exile from our own bodies as we face illnesses such as anxieties or chronic pain. Or maybe it's spiritual. 
that we have been distant from God and are living in a spiritual exile. The psalmist wants, us to, re- wants to reassure us on both God's commitment and on his power. Take a look at verses 4 and 5. The psalmist immediately points us to God's authority over creation. God determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. When we doubt God's commitment and power to restore us, the psalmist tells us to look to the created stars as evidence. Look at how numerous and magnificent the stars are. God created them and rules over them. This has an even greater meaning in those days, as many civilizations saw the stars as divine beings and even gods. But the God of Israel is the one and only true creator. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, who created all things and is sovereign over them. And God cares for his creation. He calls them by name. They're all placed exactly where they're meant to be. And if you're from an ancient culture who saw the stars as divine beings, then you would be even more encouraged because you know God is committed to his creation and he too can be committed to us. And so whatever our circumstances, even if it feels like we're walking on a tightrope that's just about to snap, let's remember how great and powerful God is and how much greater he is than the stars in our lives. And if God cares for the stars, calling them by name, how much more does he care for us his people made in his image. The next section in the psalm gives us another reason to praise God. Not only does God restore his people, but he sustains the lives of them. In the first section, just as the psalmist pointed us to creation to convey God's commitment and power, here the psalmist points us to creation to convey God's desire to sustain us. Verses 8 and 9 God sustains creation. He controls the weather to supply rain for grass to grow, which feeds the cattle and the ravens. Creation is wholly dependent on God. Creation creation just doesn't depend on being created, like God being a watchmaker, building the watch, winding it up, and letting it run. No, all of creation wholly depends on God at all times to be sustained. And what is creation for? for giving life and sustaining life for us. The grass sustains the lives of the cattle and other insects and animals, which in turn sustains the ravens. The waters, crops, and animals all form the ecosystem to sustain humanity. God's creation is for us humans. But why? Verse 11, because God delights in us. He is a God who loves us and cares for us. He will provide for us. And this reminds us that even after God has restored us from whatever circumstances, we are still meant to rely fully in his sustenance. Remember how I said I have been so quick to forget praising God after I recovered from a bout of illness? Well, this psalm provides a reminder that I need to be sustained by him at all times. And if the wonders of creation and the ecosystem are dependent on God, so too must I be dependent on him. God delights in our dependence on him. Let me quickly discuss what he doesn't take pleasure in before I go into what delights him. In verse 10, the psalmist uses war metaphors. God doesn't delight in military might, the strength of the horse, 
or the legs of the warrior. God is the one who gives us life and sustenance through his creation. And every time we try to displace this order, for example, by relying solely on our own strength, we essentially reject his life-giving gift. Maybe we're grateful um, that God has kept us safe for the last 18 months in restrictions. But where do we place our future security? Have we become more inwardly looking towards our own strength rather than to God? As I mentioned earlier, it can be tempting to simply praise God in passing when things go well. But are we really praising God for his sustenance or simply praising ourselves under a Christian banner? But don't get me wrong, God doesn't delight in us shunning good things. He wants good things for us. He delights in us. He wants to restore us and sustain us. And so for those of us that do belong to him, we can be assured that no matter our circumstances or whatever we've done, we can praise God that he is for us. What are some characteristics of God's people? Verse 11 tells us, first, God's people fear him. A reverential fear that comes from an encounter with God's presence through his spirit and word. A reverential fear that perhaps exposes how unworthy we are. Think of Moses um, being in God's presence in the burning bush in Exodus 3, where he notices how unclean he is. Or a reverential fear that leads us to trust in God and in his wisdom. Think of the book of Proverbs, where we are told, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The second characteristic is that God's people put their hope in him. Hope in his unfailing love, a love that will never be broken even when we fail, a love that will transform us, giving us a new life, and a love that will eventually lead to a new creation that will last forever. God delights in those who fear him and those who put their hope in his unfailing love. And if there's anyone listening who is new to Christianity, please know that God's unfailing love is there for all who put their trust in him. There is no ritual or good deed that must be done except to trust in his goodness. And God will respond with delight. The final section gives us a third reason of praise. It describes how God restores and sustains us. Verses 15 to 18 explains this. Through his word. God commands and his word goes forth with power. Remember page one of the Bible in Genesis 1? God creates the universe by his word, let there be light. And then he does the same as he speaks to separate the skies, the lands, and the seas. In this psalm, there's a little bit of a twist. The word can also convey the power of God in judgment. There is a mild picture of judgment, snow and frost, and there's a severe picture of judgment, hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? But out of his judgment, the power of the word restores and sustains new life. The ice melts, the waters flow, his creation will be nourished. And how is God's word revealed? Verse 19, it had been revealed to Israel with his laws and decrees, that is his laws under his covenant. God has chosen Israel as his people to be a light to all nations, and so God acts by gathering them back to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and temple. What is the significance of Jerusalem? 
For those who don't know, in 2 Samuel, soon after David became king, God promises David that he will build a house for David in Jerusalem, a house that will last forever, representing God's presence, a kingdom for Israel to live in, and for the rule of David's offspring. So Jerusalem has always been a centerpiece of God's covenant and promise to Israel. It's where God's rule and presence is meant to be established through a kingdom and a temple, a place where humanity can be reconciled with God under his rule. So the psalmist here reaffirms the hope. God will once again build up Jerusalem through the word, extol the Lord Jerusalem, the psalmist exclaims in verse 12. There will be protection and peace and resources. I wonder if at this point some of us might think, well, hold on a second. What is the assurance of protection and peace and resources to us today? Is this all just cheap talk? If we follow the history of Jerusalem, we find out that despite the return of the exiles to Jerusalem, the Israelites continue to face ongoing threats. Um, they face threats from the Persians, the Greeks, and subsequently the Romans. And Jerusalem eventually fell into the Roman rule um, and effectively was torn down a few hundred years later. Where is the promised Jerusalem where God's rule is meant to be established forever? Well, if we follow the storyline of the Bible, we know that the promised king did eventually come to Jerusalem, but not on a military horse, but on a donkey. He came not as a warrior, but as a savior, dying on the cross for our sins. And on the cross, he was exiled from God the Father for us so that we can return to God's presence. And then he was raised from death, ascended into heaven, and is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has brought us access to God the Father, and we no longer have to live in spiritual exile. And one day, we will be invited into the new Jerusalem, a new creation where there will be no suffering, no tears, and no threats, where there will be eternal joy, fellowship, and purpose. And in this city, we will be truly safe and truly satisfied with all of God's presence and glory. And so in all circumstances, we can praise God for his continued commitment to restoring us from a spiritual exile, but also from our daily struggles. And we can praise God that he will sustain us, not, a, not on our own strength, but resting on his unfailing love. And finally, we can praise God for he has given us the word that became flesh, that Jesus has dwelled among us so that people from all nations and backgrounds can know God despite any sin or situation. And that Jesus came not to conquer Jerusalem, but to die just outside Jerusalem so that we can enter into the new Jerusalem. And in this new Jerusalem, we will live in the fullness of God's presence, love, and glory. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for restoring us from the exile of our sin and sustaining us in our new lives. Please continue to restore and sustain us daily. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. We look forward to seeing him in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and earth, where we will be fully restored into a new humanity in your presence. Amen.